Welcome to Music Industry City's Tuesday Talk, is where we discuss what's going on in the world of music business. I'm Peter Schwing, and joining me today are my fellow co-hosts, Sam Tall, Stephanie Carlin, and The Duke. In case you missed it, Aisha Damo has moved over to our new Monday kickoff show, so be sure to check that out. And if there's something you'd like to chime in about, let us hear your thoughts in the comments below. So today, the team is going to talk about TikTok's growth and the Creator Fund, AI's role in music streaming, having faith in trusting your process, and we have a very special guest, Emily White, best-selling author and entrepreneur and the founder of Collector Entertainment, and I voted. She's here to talk about the largest digital concert in history on this coming election day. We have a lot to cover, so let's get to it. Did you know that in America, there is a legal way to overthrow the government? It's called voting, and this is when you get to choose who you want to run this country. It's not just the president and vice president you are voting for. You get to vote on who you want to represent you in Congress, people who make and implement policies at the state level, and you even have the opportunity to vote directly on proposed policies and ballot measures. This is the day your voice matters. And especially in this time of COVID, it's even more so important to plan ahead and get all the facts before November 3rd. Luckily, we have one woman who is leading the charge in the music industry in order to generate more awareness of the importance to get out and vote. And her name is Emily White, founder of Collective Entertainment, and I voted. Emily, welcome to the show. It's great to see you. Awesome to see you, Peter. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so this is fantastic what you're doing. So let me just give a little background for our viewers on you. I mean, I could list everything you have accomplished in your life, but we only have limited time here. So let me pick out some of the highlights. Artist manager, multiple times business owner, adjunct instructor at New York University, speaker, consultant, author of Interning 101, and your latest book, which is a number one Amazon bestseller, How to Build a Sustainable Career, Music Career, and Collect All Revenue Streams, plus a record-breaking swimmer. So did I miss anything? <laughs> uh, no, I think that sums it up. <laughs> <laughs> so fantastic. Uh, so before we get uh, into more about I Voted, and the Election Day concert. Uh, bring us up to speed on your latest book, which at this time is especially important for people to look at their career from a business standpoint. So tell yeah, us about definitely. it. definitely. Mm -hmm. For sure, thank you. Um, yeah, I mean, it was information that I felt like I was explaining to people over and over. Um, you know, it's, it's information artists always want from me, but I also think it's information that's out there. I've just never seen it put in order from recording to release. Um, so, you know, you guys know better than anyone, the music industry was set up decades ago before any of us were born to confuse artists. So if you're trying to teach that information out of order, that's going to be really confusing for the student and really confusing for the educator. So I just didn't feel like, uh, you should have to have access to me to get this information, um, in the way that I want to present it. So that's kind of the first half of the book. And then the second half is, you know, you know, uh, collecting all revenue streams, I was sick of taking on national acts and finding money for them. And on one hand, that's definitely part of a manager's job. But on the other, if that's happening to artists we've heard of, um, what about everyone else? So it was just really important for me to get this information out there. Um, if it helped one person, I would have been thrilled. And the fact that I you know, hear from artists every day about it um, and that they're sharing it with one another is, you know, really means the world to me. Well, what would you consider the one key item that musicians should be focusing on at this time 
with everything going on? Um, the same thing they should always be focusing on, data. Uh, you know, technology, technology companies are the most valuable companies in the world because they have all of our data. And we as industry people and artists tend to just give that, you know, to Spotify, Apple, MySpace, whomever, right? So the more email addresses, the more phone numbers, the more fan location artists can be collecting, the better. And now is such a great time to do it, actually, because it's a great time to educate yourself, start doing webcasts, and connect with your audience online. Yeah, it, it, interesting that you said you brought up MySpace. I just, coincidentally, yesterday, I randomly logged into my old MySpace account because I had an alert saying I had to, like, I had to go to an old email account to, like, reset my password for something. And then there was MySpace stuff in there. So I went to see what's still there. I mean, it's it's pretty much like the, the graveyard of, like, images and all that stuff. But, you know, the fact is it's still there. So, uh, well, I say that to make a point, right? Mm -hmm. It's like we gave data to MySpace and then we gave our data to Facebook and now we gave our we gave our data to Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. It just keeps going. We never seem to give it to artists. So that's exactly my point is the more that artists and industry people and by industry people, I mean, retain that data for artists. Mm -hmm. um, that's actually how they can build a long term and sustainable career. Fantastic. So, so yeah, actually, Sam's going to be talking about TikTok uh, later on in the show. So uh, this will be really interesting. I know we're going to be talking, he's going to be talking about some data and some uh, economics behind it. But uh, let, let's go back to the 2016 election. And, when, and tell us why you started I Voted at that time. And, and what was your what was your goal? Yeah, definitely. So I'm originally from Wisconsin. I'm based in New York City now. Um, and the presidential election was decided in Wisconsin by 22,000 votes and change. Uh, it was decided in Michigan next door by 10,000 votes and change. I'd read that voter turnout was down in Milwaukee, where I'm from. And I was like, 22,000, that's our basketball arena. Why don't we put together some sort of sick concert and tie in voting? Um, so that's what we did for the 2018 midterm elections. We activated over 150 venues in 37 states to let fans in on election night who showed a selfie from outside their polling place. All of these amazing artists perform, Billie Eilish, Playboy Cardi, Maggie Rogers. Um, we got all this great press that was totally organic. And it was just myself and an intern working on it. It was an idea that caught fire. Um, so now we've pivoted, obviously, under the pandemic. And we've been inviting artists to perform via webcast. Fans can access the election night November 3rd stream by RSVPing with a selfie at home with their blank and unmarked mail-in ballot or from outside their polling place. If you're not 18 by November 3rd or you're uh, not a U.S. citizen or ineligible to vote, uh, you can RSVP as well. That info is on our website at ivotedfestival.com. And instead of just getting artists that we know personally or that we hope people will like or that we think that they'll like, uh, we partnered with Chartmetric, and we've been reaching out to the top streaming artists in and or from each state. Um, we're still not funded, although I'm leading a team of 175 volunteers, so there's a lot of passion this year. Um, and so because of that, we focused on 20, 25 focus states where um, we can really make a difference on voter turnout. And through that, over 600 artists have confirmed, um, which unfortunately makes it the largest music festival to date and is also going to smash the record for uh, the largest single night digital concert in history, all in support of voter turnout. I mean, that is just absolutely amazing. So well, when you first did this, and, and I guess this is also an education in for uh, entrepreneurship, is like, 
you went out, you had this idea and this concept and you presented it to the music industry. And of course it's like, oh, you know, you, we're gonna go the, oh yeah, tell me more. Or, you know, they want, they want, you know, to see, you know, validation in it. So, you know, how, what was a, after the first time in 2016, what was the music industry, re, uh, music industry reaction and then like, you know, now it's like 600. So now you've quadrupled the number of acts. I mean, so how are, are you reaching out? Are people coming to you? And how do, how can other companies or part, you know, become partners or get involved to help? Yeah, awesome. I mean, we're four weeks out, election day, you know, so the festival on election day is four weeks from today. The best thing partners can do is to push out our RSVP link, which is front and center on ivotedfestival.com. Um, so the more fans, you know, we can get RSVPing, um, celebrating voting, the better, because, you know, that's the entire point. So um, my pie in the sky fantasy was to activate the entire industry. Uh, we're not there yet, but we're definitely on our way. And I'd love to expand, you know, further into sports, comedy, gaming um, and beyond for 2022, because I voted is absolutely not limited to music. But that's obviously who I am and what I know. So this is what I'm able to do to contribute to voter turnout. Well, you also mentioned uh, it's outside the music industry, and you have some people, an Olympian, don't I believe, yeah. that you have. Tell us about this, because you're, you're bringing all different sectors together. So you have this cross-pollinization, and which is fantastic, because you don't have to be in the music industry to love a music festival or a concert and support something for a good cause. So tell us about that, that, that crossover. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, I again, a lot of it is just kind of a natural extension of the music industry or my network. Um, Living Color was a huge artist for us in 2018 and they wanted to do it again this year, but um, you know, live all over the place. Uh, I used to work with W. Kamau Bell. I knew he was best friends with Vernon Reed. So I was like, why don't we do a conversation between Living Color and Kamau and everyone was super into it. So that allowed us to bring in comedy. Um, and then I manage Olympic gold medalist, Anthony Irvin. Um, to be honest, like Anthony's been pretty busy with his family this year. He hasn't been doing too much promo. Um, or, and like the one thing we have been talking about is voting. So I was like, hey, do you want to do an exclusive video message for I Voted? And he was like, yeah, definitely. Um, you know, even before the pandemic, we were talking to an NBA team about doing I Voted at an NBA game. Um, so like I said, this is absolutely not limited to music by any means. And, um, you know, what... What's happened with our pivot is that post-vaccine, when you know we can't wait for venues to return, we'll be able to have a sold-out venue, but then also webcast it for you know additional fans who can't make the show. And the other problem that it solves for us is you know we had two really major national acts in 2018 that wanted to participate, and I voted, um, but they were touring in Europe. So now they can do a webcast or exclusive message, um, and it just expands our reach further as far as voter turnout goes. That's fantastic. And it's such such an important cause. So finally, what what is the one message besides go out and vote? Because that is the key message that you want to get out to the people. Yeah, well, since this is uh, Music Industry City Network, um, our one ask is always for um, every industry colleague and friend to tell one other industry colleague and friend. And that's been very effective for us um, since we started this three years ago. So yeah, so check out I, ivotedfestival.com. Spread the word and let's get as many fans voting as possible. Emily, thank you so much. It, it was great to see you. Best of luck with the event. I'm, I know it's going to be a huge, huge success. And for everybody else, if you want to find out more on how to get involved, we'll put the links down in the show notes below. Emily, have a wonderful day. It's great seeing you as always.
You too. Thanks, right. Peter. Thanks, everyone. Cheers. So moving on to the platform that seems to be in the conver in everyday conversation these days, uh, TikTok. 690 million users globally. Over in the UK, it's something watched over an hour a day by 17 million users. That's just one country across the pond, but others percentage-wise also fall into a similar statistic. Back in July, TikTok established a $200 million creator fund to support ambitious creators who are seeking to turn content creation into their livelihoods. This all sounds great, but TubeFilter just published an article and video that disseminates the economics behind the creators. Here with his thoughts on the creator fund and how to and to break down the numbers is Sam Tall. Sam, should I give up my day job and hop on TikTok? I think you where's that mute button? Is that is that you? Are you unmuted? I think we have a little unmuting problem. Here we go. How about now? Is that, that better? There you go. Yeah, right. nope. That's the that's the live part of everything. So <laughs> there we go. All right. Um, so yes, you should definitely quit your day job. Um, I think it's a great idea, sound strategy. Um, it's the perfect time. You got to get in on the ground floor. You got to hustle hard. That uh, no, obviously. Yeah, well, not. well TikTok, so, TikTok's a new app. You know, it's just brand new, and the people are just starting to catch on. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's it's this it's this new kid on the block that's been around for a few years. Um, <laughs> But to take it seriously, I mean, the monetization question around TikTok's been on uh, a lot of people's minds all year, um, and and there's some been some recent insight about how they're handling that and how they're making that. In you know, as we close out the year and as we approach the next year, um, they've obviously been in the limelight a lot with people staying home and with people making new content, and there's been a lot of cool like family stuff and commentary and it's very UGC friendly. It's amazing. The kind of content, it's definitely a very different vibe than YouTube, which is now pretty stayed in its ways around vloggers and lifestyle content. But the monetization on TikTok, um, it was looking like it was going to take a very similar attack to Facebook. Um, for those who don't know, the way that YouTube monetization works is primarily based on AdSense. So for ads that run on YouTube, a ratio of those revenues get paid out to the creator uh, of the video where the uh, ads are appearing. And if there's music in that video, that revenue is probably going to the label or rights owner instead of the creator of that video uh, for copyright reasons. Facebook is different. Facebook, in order to accomplish some goals around monetization and clearing up rights-related issues, um, decided that they were going to set aside a pool of rev a pool of money, and then of that pool, they were going to prorate out to rights owners and content creators. Uh, the content creator side of that's really new this year. The rights owners part, the music rights owners part, was something that happened, I think, a year, maybe two years ago. Um, and so it's been limited. Obviously, Facebook has continued to grow, but that pool of money has not. And so the exposure may be going up, but the actual you know, revenue per thousand views is going down. TikTok is now in the unenviable position of having to figure out how to do this themselves and how to compensate creators to continue to grow, continue to compete with other platforms that do compensate, especially with music, because there's copyright related issues, not just creator retention problems. Uh, some data out of the out of uh, Europe and some of the user bases out there suggest that it's in the two to four cents per uh, thousand views range. By context, uh, YouTube is more like uh, two to four dollars. Um, but of course, you got to keep in mind that YouTube content tends to be on average five to 10 minutes. 
on TikTok, it's uh, you know usually around 15 seconds, maybe 30 or 60 if it's a longer one. So it's a very different consumption speed. Just like with Facebook videos, the sharing is super high, the views are super high, so it makes sense that the thousand views are a little bit cheaper. Um, it's also a smaller platform and a little less uh, friendly to advertisers right now. Here's where we hit the problems. They're still treating music from that sort of pooled and prorated basis. I recently got some royalties in from TikTok for an artist that I work with and, and had put out their music on TikTok. It's some like 200 million views or something like that for a few hundred dollars. I mean, I don't understand how that's like at all logical. It doesn't seem like that's where we you know ought to be. For a platform that's based around music, it should be a lot higher and it's a little frustrating. Couple this with the fact that when I shared this information in Artist Managers Connect, everybody had a different experience. There is no standardization here. It's like, is it the label that gets the deal, the distributor that gets the deal? Like, who's cutting the deal that determines what the pro rate is? Because I love the distributor that I worked with, but did they have a shitty deal? Like, is that going to mean that like I'm always going to get underpaid for TikTok versus other people who are on different distributors? How is that fair? At least with Spotify, you can kind of guess roughly three to four tenths of a cent. It's pretty easy to predict now. And with Apple, it's even easier because there's no ads on Apple Music. So it's all premium revenue and you can kind of guarantee what the per stream rate is going to be based on the users and based on the revenues reported. TikTok, we're not there yet. And, you know, frankly, with how prolific the music is, it should be compensated better. Now, that's obvious. And obviously, the, the promotional value of it is is evident. We have stars uh, emerging off of TikTok just for their music going viral and in, in challenges and trends and all kinds of stuff. I don't want to diminish the value of that. But that's also true on every other platform. The sharing of music happens all over the place. It happened on YouTube, and that was one of YouTube's principal problems to solve, you know, 10 years ago. Hence, you know, we get to a place where the labels are kind of holding out and the labels are, you know, doing takedowns. And then it happens with video too, and then Viacom sues, and then we have the advent of content ID. And now everyone's kind of like pretty hunky dory with YouTube, even though that their, you know, revenue versus Spotify is a lot lower. The volume of views is a lot higher. And so we're still talking about a platform that pays out over a billion dollars a year to rights owners. That's great. It could be better, but it's great. TikTok, you know, it's not even a billion dollars for video creators. It's even less than that for music creators. And I just, I don't understand what gives. And uh, I want to put this out into the ether. If you have your stuff being distributed, make sure it's on TikTok. Otherwise, people are just going to rip and upload your sounds anyway. If your music gets any traction, it's going to end up on TikTok whether you want it to or not. So you might as well be in market. And then once you're in market, you can start to fight for a little bit of a change and, you know, advocate for a little bit of a higher royalty rate, um, especially if you're, you know, not predisposed to making content and kind of pushing the engine yourself. Um, it's unfair for you to be locked out of this ecosystem. Yeah. And th I mean, there's so much to pay attention to and every platform has its own unique intricacies on how they're paying out, what they're paying out, who they're paying out. And, you know, even though we look at Twitch and Twitch adding the music content uh, to it now, and there was already other services. So it's, it's so difficult to stay on top of each platform. I mean, that's a full-time job, just trying to collect the pennies, nickels, and dimes, but those are adding up. So it's even like, you have to look at it's like that ecosystem of micropayments, 
Well, and it's literally my full time job. So that's, uh, you know, that's that's exactly it. And, uh, you know, the, the, the last thing I'll say on this is I really wonder what the and I'm going to put this worm in everybody's ear. I really wonder what uh, the major labels are able to negotiate in terms of uh, minimum guarantees. We know this is a thing that happens every time there's music licenses being cut. We know it's a big part of why YouTube had a recent sort of dispute with uh, Coda in Denmark for licensing. Mm -hmm. And then they kind of worked around it with Polaris as a more of an aggregated European licensing body. Spotify notoriously has minimum guarantees to the labels they have to accommodate for, which we don't know what those numbers are. We don't know whether those jive with the rates that everybody else is getting. It could be a lot higher. And, mm -hmm. and, you know, they can just add, you know, allocate themselves money and then pay to the artists, the royalties that are expected from Spotify, even though the, there's a lot more happening. Right. Is that happening exactly. with TikTok too? I bet it is. Well, yeah, exactly. So, all right. Thanks. That's a lot to think about. And it's, a, it's something that we have to, you know, continue that discussion and see really what's going on. So thanks a lot for that. And uh, AI. So continuing with the technology, AI is playing a bigger role in music streaming than you've ever imagined. And, you know, do you know what's behind happening behind the scenes when you start streaming music? Besides helping to mix up your playlist based on listening habits, there's also audio leveling, removing spatial gaps, and much more. In a recent Fortune article, Tony Jabara, head of machine, that's, that is actually last week's title. How about we put on this week's title? For this, for music, it's pretty easy to get someone to consume by giving them what they consumed yesterday. It's kind of table stakes using AI to occasionally pepper in surprises based on personals prior listening. Helps spice up the personalized playlist and help prevent them from leaving. And here with his you know, perspective on this is the Duke. Dave, how are you? I'm good, man. Sam, I love that, man. I was just, woo! Sam was hitting mm -hmm. me today with TikTok visions. Yeah, right on. So, uh, so yeah. So, what are your thoughts on you know this this whole AI stuff? Um, it's inevitability, Mr. Anderson. Um, it just is what it is. Um, the thing about it that kind of really got me was, I mean, coming up in the music business, like everything that was new was new and exciting. My first time at Sterling Sound, sitting behind Chris Geringer, getting like our record mastered was like, it was it was an awesome thing. Have people say, hey man, you want something to drink? And it was all rad, you know? And um, now my, my buddy Mikey told me, he's like, hey man, you gotta check out this new mastering, um, this new mastering plugin. It just does it for you automatically. It just takes the algorithm of whatever song you give into it. And I said, man, that's that's not fun, you know? like. Do we, does it give you water too? Like it's a whole different wave. So now when you talk about like AI and Spotify and YouTube, I think it's um, the other side of the coin where it can actually be kind of really rad in a sense that it's like YouTube will show you things that are relevant to the search that you're on, right? Spotify kind of really doesn't necessarily do that unless you're on a playlist. Um, the AI aspect of cutting out silence and these type of like automated things is rad. I think, um, uh, but less exciting in the mastering realm or having something automatically mix the record for you when you press the button because the next thing after that is let's just have the AI write the song for us. You know, and it can also put on our socks, which would be really rad. And we could just lay in bed all day. It'll be a great time. Um, but I like the aspect on the plus side where it, it kind of like can give you something exciting. You know what I mean? I'll kind of digress for one little end of this segment here. I've taken a good amount of acid in my life and um, no acid trip has ever been the same. 
You know what I mean? And I would love for the AI experience of a Spotify or a YouTube be the, to be the same where I say, man, I can't wait to flip open the phone today and see what AI has got in store for me versus here, check out Drake's new seven songs that all came out today and they're all number one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, which is not so exciting for me. Um, and that's just how I feel about AI. I think it's a plus. And I think the Matrix um, was uh, 20 years ago, but man, that movie had a lot of elements of uh, right now. And um, I'm gonna say end scene on that. Right on, yeah. Uh, and you know, like think about it. it's like if you have AI tied in with an acid trip, it's kind of like that old screensaver on the Mac. And you know, like it can like predict where you are in your trip, your highs and lows, and can kind of just like give you cater tailor the music to your trip. Exactly. We we live in a peanut butter and jelly society, but when's the last time we had peanut butter and maple syrup? It's another wave, man. We we need that. We need that AI to us. I love it. Love it. Thank you, Dave. Thanks. Always a great perspective. So many musicians are feeling they're like their careers have come to a screeching halt. But in truth, there is so much new potential as an artist right now. To discuss how to change your mindset and have faith in your process is Stephanie Carlin. Stephanie, what say you on this? Oh, Peter. All right. We're going to close this Tuesday talkies with a real spiritual infusion. Okay. I like it. I thought you would. All right. So, all right. For some of you listening, this time of COVID has been devastating and your revenues dried up and your livelihoods disappeared and you're left to like really grapple with what the hell this new beginning looks like. Uh, shout out to Sam. Yes. Quit your day job, please. Uh, for others, this time has been a total blessing, right? All the reasons and excuses you had to do something that was a fundamental untruth. Okay. So you were given permission from this shutdown to actually charge ahead with this new beginning. But so many artists get caught in finding the proof that they've finally made it, finding proof in these metrics and benchmarks of success. Like success starts at 50K followers or success starts at the Grammy. And the proof you're looking for as an artist doesn't exist. The knowing that you change lives, that you make an impact, that is an internal shift. No amount of external proof will lock in that internal shift. And that internal shift is your spiritual work. And it requires trust in yourself. It requires faith in yourself. And your proof has nothing to do with faith. Your faith sustains you. It's not temporary, regardless of what successes look like to the outside world. Your faith is a quality of surrender. Your faith leaves you impossible to doubt. And as you go through different experiences in your career, you will inevitably be given opportunities to see what your true faith is. You know, I've seen artists experience massive results in their career, but they still doubt themselves. So it's a, just a fact you'll experience these incredible things, but I'm more interested in what sustains you because the opposite of your faith is doubt and disbelief. So do you have more doubt and disbelief in yourself as an artist than you do faith? Because these two energies of doubt and disbelief are designed to keep you stuck. And us artists love to romanticize doubt and disbelief. We just fucking love the tortured artist archetype that our work has to be given to us in these bursts of inspiration. Or some of us feel obligated to follow the paths of our idols who maybe didn't have the greatest lives. So today I don't want to so much rant as I want to inquire with you. Where have you lost faith? Where do you doubt yourself as an artist? Where do you not believe in your visions? Where have you gotten discouraged and you let that discouragement color your future? 
you know, we lose trust and faith in this world. And it's so easy to do that inside this initiation that's going on around us that we're calling COVID, that we're calling the 2020 election. We lose faith and trust in source as we absorb other people's stresses around us and begin to get convinced that not having faith is the obvious answer when it's not. And the most crippling thing is losing faith and trust in ourselves. So as you continue your pivots and hustles and creating new revenue streams beyond touring and live music, look at how your doubt and disbelief has got it rigged to keep you stuck and don't get bought off by it because you have the ability to create worlds. You have the ability to lead and elevate and impact humanity in a way that so many politicians will never have because sound is a particular flavor. Music is a truth that can only be felt. So I ask you to keep your inner circle flush and full of people who have total faith in you, in your impact, who have faith in humanity, who trust your process and your connection to something bigger than really the little crises that are happening right now. And that's the one to think about. I love it. It's, you know, the, the whole thing about, you know, having faith and, and belief and trusting your process. It, it's, it's different things. Faith is different than trusting in your process. Faith in yourself. Would you say something like that? Faith is different than trusting your process. You know, I'd really call them different flavors of the same thing mm -hmm. and continue to chip away at what leaves your faith irrefutable as a leader so that as other people's inevitable doubt and disbelief bumps up against your field, you have the grounding to actually lead them. Fantastic. I love it. Thank you, Steph. That was a great way to end up Tuesday Talkies today. So, well, and that is it for today. And thank you all for tuning in. If you want to continue the conversation, leave a comment below. And if you find this interesting, hit that subscribe button and ring the notification bell to be alerted about new shows. You can also find us at musicindustrycity.com and on your preferred podcast player. Thank you again to our host, Sam, Stephanie, and the Duke. Have a rocking day. 